Thank you guys. And Pastor Jeff, I want to let them know that the concert tonight, this worship experience here together is less than an hour. So it's about 45, 50 minutes, 45 minutes or so. But original music, you are going to be richly blessed to hear what some of our folks have uh, put together. In fact, my assistant Karen, who's been here a very long time, had written a song a while back, and it's just incredible. I, I want you to hear all of it, but you're really gonna be encouraged and inspired. So join us just for a little bit tonight at six, okay, right here. Our deacons are on standby. If you did not receive the communion cup when you came in, it's got the bread and the juice, and you would like to partake in communion today, they are walking around. Just raise your hand. It's okay. I know we're Baptists, but you can slip a hand up. We're sort of Baptocostal here, so raise your hand. Let them know you need that if you did not receive it already. And as you're doing that, we want to certainly be mindful of those that were in the path of Hurricane Ian. That was a, a massive monster storm that hit Florida. And uh, friends up in our area in the Northeast were okay once it cut across the state. But we are sending a Grace Go disaster relief team in next weekend, our chainsaw ministry team. There's been some training for that as of late. They are going to be heading out next weekend. And so you pray for the work and ministry there. And for those that have been in harm's way, we are making sure that we're going to be on the ground supporting and ministering to people in need. It will be a long time for some of those to be able to dig out from that massive, massive storm. So we certainly lift them up. We are in Hebrews. We're just gonna have a couple of more weeks here before I take a break from Hebrews for a little bit through the holidays. When we start back in January, I'm actually gonna pick back up to Genesis again, but I'll get into that later. We're gonna do a little mini series here out of Hebrews into four into the beginning of chapter five. But we're talking about Hebrews as an anchor for the soul that the Lord who is better than all of the Old Testament figures, better than Moses, better than the angels, is our anchor. And in one of my favorite verses out of the entire book of Hebrews, and one that most of you have heard before, is Hebrews 4. So let's put that back on the screen, and I want you to say this with me, and then let's unpack it a little bit. You ready? Join me. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, what does that mean, the word of God is living and powerful? Well, it is alive. It's not that it changes, but that we change. And the application of the Word of God, as I finish this year my Adrian Rogers, Dr. Rogers Legacy Study Bible, as I finish it, this is the 24th year I've done this. Different study Bibles. Sometimes I've messed with the Greek and the Hebrew, but different translations, different Bibles, reading the Scripture, then reading the notes, praying, spending time before the Lord. And then I'll have some supplemental devotional material. But as I end year 24 and look forward to January 1st to start 25, what I've discovered is the Word of God is solid and the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's settled. But my life has changed a lot in 24 years. My family's changed a lot. I look around and I see the blessing of family and I think, man, you, you not only have these kids, now, now you have these granddaughters and God's brought you here for, for this season of your life and I hope for a very long season, but God has planted you here and you need this application today in this text. And so it's living and powerful and it is a discerner of the very innermost parts of our being. 
And that being said, let's do it again. Let's just put a few blanks in because it's quite a long verse, okay? Let's say it together. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Good. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Yeah, way down deep into the very seat of our emotion, the word of God reveals us. Last week, we studied most of chapter four, talking about entering God's rest. We said we enter God's rest by confident faith in the gospel, and we enter God's rest by consistent obedience to God's word. Today and next week, this is our theme, our perfect high priest. And what you're seeing on the screens there is an image of uh, the Ark of the Covenant. On top of the Ark of the Covenant, laid over it with gold, is the mercy seat. And the throne of God, the dwelling place of God among men, was considered to be between the cherubim. This came to be, of course, when Moses was given instructions to construct the tabernacle, the tent temple, if you will, the first temple. Later in Jerusalem, the temple would be erected, and of course, the Ark of the Covenant would be brought in. And this would be the most holy thing, the very place where the Lord would meet with the high priest. But we know there are a lot of issues with priests. It's not just our Roman Catholic friends. There are a lot of issues with pastors. There are a lot of issues with those who claim to be people of God or particularly leading men of God. I want to restore your confidence today in the priesthood, not the priesthood of men, but the priesthood ordained by God. Because if you're putting your faith in the hands of any man, certainly this man, you're putting your faith in the wrong place. You need to put your faith in our perfect high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only high priest we will ever need. And I'll speak to some of my Catholic friends and some folks that come out of um, traditions where we go to men to get to God. And we'll see how Jesus is more than enough. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Hebrews chapter four, we'll go to 14 and then we'll conclude in, in verse four of chapter five. It says this, seeing then that we have a great high priest. It's been talking about how the Lord is all we need, that Jesus is enough, that he gives us the rest of God. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Don't go back. Remember, the theme of Hebrews, don't you go back. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. That's that Old Testament mediatorial role of the priest. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was, the very first high priest. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is truth without any mixture of error. 
And Lord, while we bridge the cultural and linguistic and historical gap today from the time of the Bible to our very day, help us to remember what it said then and there so that we can understand now what it means here and now and how it applies in 2022 because there's still so much great applicable truth right here in front of us. You have spoken. Now let us hear and obey in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what kind of high priest do we need? What kind of high priest do we have in the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't normally alliterate very often, but in reading Dr. Rogers' study Bible this year, Dr. Rogers was known to alliterate everything. And so in his study Bible, he has a lot of alliteration. I didn't take any of these points from Dr. Rogers. I've written these myself because they emerge straight out of the text. But I was sort of inspired, and so I'll give you four S words today. I'll make it really, really simple. Next week, the outline will get a little bit more complicated. But for today, we'll keep it super simple. We're going to start with this. Jesus is our supreme high priest. Our supreme high priest. Seeing then, verse 14, that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. I want you to see at least three truths in this section with me. First, the first truth, Jesus is a great High priest, megas in the Greek. You've heard that word, megas, mega. Uh, it's, it means he's remarkable in magnitude and degree and effect. He far surpasses all of the priestly predecessors. The priestly work of Christ cannot even be compared to those who came before. So let's talk about, we do this with all kinds of things in our life. We'll, we'll do things like this, good, better, best right? If you are a college graduate, even in high school we'll do this uh, sometimes, you get Latin honors, so cum laude or cum laude with praise, okay? So you're getting a, a good honor. Magna cum laude with greater praise. Or like Miss Cindy, who was her valid, class's valedictorian in a smarty pants, she was summa cum laude. So we still pick and say, you are summa, and you are summa. We know she's the smart one in the family. So summa, with greatest praise, with greatest honor, you are at the tip top. Well, Jesus here is described as that kind of priest. This designator does not point to anyone else in all of history, only the Lord Jesus. Now, if you're not one who graduated cum laude, magna cum laude, or summa cum laude, let me give it to you a little simpler. If you go to lunch at Taco Bell today, you can order nachos or nacho supreme, okay? Now, you understand the difference, right? Okay, I'm just putting the cookies down where we can all reach it. Okay, right? And if Supreme's not enough, now they move on. You know, all these products, now they're not in. Supreme's no longer enough. Now you gotta have platinum and you gotta have all of this and all of that. The point is very simple though, isn't it? It's that this is greater. Or in Jesus' case, the greatest. Hey guys, on my clock here, could y'all reset that? It's still reading Pastor Jeff and I'm 11 minutes over time and I hadn't even got warmed up. Okay, so first... First, Jesus is that supreme or the greatest high priest. Second, Jesus is portrayed as a human priest. It says this is the one who has passed through the heavens. He is the man in heaven. He is the God-man Jesus. He understands our trials. So he is a human priest. He is third, an unparalleled divine priest. He is the son of God. That is not a designator that is used lightly. He is the son of God. He is also so simultaneously God 
the Son. And because he is the Son of God and God the Son, we can now hold firmly to the faith. The Bible says we confess. Or it says it this way, let us hold fast our confession. In that Greek, it is homologia, homo, same, logia, word or saying or statement. We're going to say the same thing to God that he has said about us. You are my special creation made in my image. I'm your special creation made in your image. You're a sinner and that sin separates me from you. You know what, Lord, I am a sinner and my sin separates me from you. You need to be saved and the blood of bulls and goats won't get the job done. You need the perfect sacrificial lamb, Christ. Lord, you're right. I need the sacrificial lamb, Christ. If you want a relationship with me, you come to me through the Son and your Savior. Lord, you're right. That is my confession. We were making a confession earlier. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God, who is three in one. A confession. And it says we hold it firmly because Jesus has passed through the heavens. Do you know there are three levels of heaven? The Bible speaks about three heavens. There's what you see right up above you. We would call that atmospheric heaven. There's what you see beyond that in the, in the night sky. That would be space or the second heaven, outer space. Then there's the third heaven, the abode of God Almighty. And in that third heaven where the Bible speaks about being elevated to the third heaven, what we find up there is that this is where Jesus, he went all the way from here and he ascended all the way back to there. You know, there are three levels in the temple. There are actually more than three, but when it came to the priestly duties, there was the outer court where the priest could serve, but then the high priest could go into the holy place and one day a year, Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur translates day of atonement, the holiest day of the year, that priest, that high priest, Aaron being first in the Old Testament tabernacle, would go in to offer sacrifices. Now he first had to make sacrifice for himself, then he would go to make sacrifice and put the blood on that mercy seat on behalf of the people. Interestingly enough, in the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur is actually this coming Wednesday, October the 5th. So on their calendar, this coming Wednesday is the Day of Atonement. The sad thing is, Orthodox Jews are still looking for that atonement. We on this side of Calvary know that Jesus provided that atonement. Now let me speak to some of my Catholic friends and those who have a tradition of an earthly or human priesthood today. There is this thought, and I know you've either seen it, you've read about it, you've probably seen it in a movie, where you must go, in some traditions, to a priest, a human priest. And then you're going to go into your confessional. There's going to be some kind of screen there, some kind of maybe wooden lattice work or something. And he's going to sit on one side, and you're going to sit on the other, and then you're going to confess your sins. Confession. You're going to tell him what you've done, and he's going to then give you some things to absolve your sins, things like X number of Hail Marys. Go home and pray your rosary, and you're going to say this X number of times. I want to tell you something because I love you. That is not biblical. You do not need to go into a little wooden box and speak to another human being. He is a sinner just like you are. What you need to do is remember that to get to God my Father, I don't go through Mary. I don't go through one of the named saints. I go through the Son, Jesus Christ. He is my high priest. I don't need to go through anyone else. 
I don't need to go any other way. I don't need to have incantation or vain repetition. I don't need to pray a certain prayer a certain way over and over and over. I can confess it and God will forgive it. It is done. Cast as far as east is from west. This is what the Bible teaches us. If you want to come to God, there's one way. Jesus said, I am the way. Mr. Rito, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You were Catholic. Okay. Praise God, you're not today. You're Christian. So you come through him. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. What did he say? No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the portal, the door, the gate. He is our supreme high priest. Second truth I want you to see, Jesus is our sympathetic high priest. Sympathetic. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. Sympathetic. It's right out of the Greek language, sympatheo. That's a pretty simple word, right? I loved getting Greek vocabulary like that years ago because I could memorize that. Sympatheo. Sim is the starter of the word. It's the prefix sim, S-Y-M. It means together or with, together or with. So let me give you an example in English. Symphony. Symphono, sounds that are brought together. That's what a symphony is. It sounds together. And so we, we uh, get things too complicated sometimes. Sympatheo, sympatheo. Patheo means feeling. It can mean suffering. It means experience. And what the Bible says is we don't have a high priest who doesn't understand and have the sympathy, who doesn't have the experience with us. Our high priest understands because he walked the same dusty streets. He faced gnawing hunger and bitter disappointment and ultimate rejection and horrible shame. He knew what it was like to be touched with deep, deep sorrow. Jesus wept. Jesus understood what loss was like. Now, Naturally, when the letter here says that Jesus was tempted in every way or in every respect or in all points, he's not implying that Jesus faced every different conceivable type of temptation, meaning this, he could hardly have experienced and personally understood what a woman may face or what married people may face or what the elderly may face since he did not live to be past 33 and a half. He didn't understand what it was like in a sense of living in the modern historical technological age that we do. He wasn't looking for likes or affirmations in social media. But the root of all temptation can be boiled down to just a few areas. You know this. You may struggle with a particular sin, but they all come back to just a, a set of things that are trying to be a sorry substitute for the Lord in our lives. And so Jesus experienced all of those types of tests or trials. He met those head on and he emerged victorious with every struggle. Well, what if God had never come in the flesh? What if Jesus never had the incarnation in flesh? What if he never dwelt among us? Could he have still spoken through the prophets? Well, yeah, he did in the Old Testament. Of course he still spoke. Could he have told us he loved us? Well, yeah. Could he have said, I understand, I sympathize with you? Well, yes. But don't you understand and appreciate it that much more when your God came to where you are? Don't you understand and appreciate it all the more when he says, I know you. I know what you're going through because he has walked your streets. 
He has tasted the bitterness of life on this planet at times and some of the joys and some of the celebrations. I've heard about a lot of things in my life. I've seen commercials, I've heard of poverty, I've heard of all manner of things, but 10 years ago, I was deeply, deeply touched. When our church had sponsored, this was one of many wells that we were putting in the country of India. And we had put this particular well in a slum area, about several thousand people in this particular slum. And we were dedicating that well, that clean water well. It was dug very deeply and it had the hand pump where the villagers could come, so you didn't need electricity. It was a very beautiful, concreted area, and they asked me to be there with some other pastors to dedicate it. And I'll never forget an 84-year-old matriarch in this particular slum village coming, and because of her status in the community, she'd come to Christ, by the way, because of her status in the community, she came, and they were going to allow her to drink first. Now, even though they were in a slum, the ladies still put on their very best, their very colorful silks and their head garb and all of the different things, the accoutrement that they had on, and she came. And I'll never forget as we started pumping water, they allowed her to go under and she put her hands under and she took this water to her mouth and took a large drink. And then she raised her hands and she clearly was praising, but it was in Hindi, so I was clueless. And so I stepped back and said, what is she saying? My translator said this. She said, I am 84 years old and for the first time in my life, I'm tasted clean water and she was praising God for the gift of this well I've heard that my buddy Paul I was with last week my missionary friend we've been cutting up together for years we did clean water work in Brazil we've done clean water work all over the world I've heard it I kind of knew there was a need here and these people and their precious children had all of these, these problems because of the water. But to hear someone make a proclamation, I've tasted it for the first time in my life. Do you think I'll forget that? To be there, to see it, to hear it, to smell it, to experience it is a different thing. And in so doing, God built into me a type of sympathy that I don't believe I would have gained otherwise, which is why it's so important when you get an opportunity to go. Take the opportunities God has given you, be it across the street or around the world. Jesus is our supreme high priest. Jesus is our sympathetic high priest. He knows. And believe me, friend, he's faced far more than you or I could ever face. Jesus is our sinless high priest. Isn't this important? Look, he cannot sympathize. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but what's in all points tempted, temptation is not sin, guys. But it says he went on not to sin. In fact, it says, and he was in all points tempted. And then it just simply adds without sin. Those other words are fillers. That's why they're in italics in your Bible. Without sin, Meaning that he faced the kinds of the categories of things we face, but he never, ever, ever sinned. He was like us in every way. First Peter 2 says, Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his footsteps, but he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Now, I don't want you to answer this aloud, but I want you to process this question. Must someone sin in order to truly be human? Think about it. Biblically, the answer is clearly no. Were Adam and Eve fully human in the garden before Genesis 3? 
Yes. They'd been made in the image of God, fully human, man and woman, two genders, I would remind you. They were made fully human, but they had not yet sinned. All of our loved ones who have died in Christ and all who will die in Christ or be called up in rapture are going to be human in heaven. We do not transform to angels. We will be human beings. And yet the Bible says that we will be without sin. We will never sin again, but we will still be human. Jesus did not have to sin to be human, but Jesus was tempted. But do you know that temptation is greater and duration and intensity when one does not take the easy way out? I'm gonna argue that Jesus was more tempted than any of you or I have ever been. Well, what do you mean by that? Okay, we have a hot, fresh Krispy Kreme glazed donut right here in front of us. The sign is glowing and like a moth, you, <laughs> right? You go to the flame and it's hot. And then for those of you that love the hot coffee over here or those of you that love the cold milk over here, praise God, it's calling your name. Imagine it could stay hot so that you know when you put it up to your mouth, you know it's gonna melt. <sighs> is this getting cruel yet? I would argue that it is greater the, the longer you endure, let's say if you haven't eaten for a while, maybe days and days, or put a big juicy steak in front of you, or whatever it is that is your temptation point, or for you vegans and all of the others, put a nice green salad, I don't know, you rabbit. Listen, when you, I'm just kidding. You guys are healthy, praise God. My Bible told me take, kill, and eat. So look, here's the thing. You put this in front of you and it is very tempting. The longer you say no, the greater the temptation. That's why most of us don't say no very long. In fact, some of you have been inspired to go buy Krispy Kreme on your way home today. <laughs> Somebody will email me and say, I gave in to the temptation, right? All right, here's the thing. Jesus never took the easy way out. Jesus could have chosen to give in to sin, into hunger, into desire for acclaim, into lust for power. I mean, Satan offered all of this to him. But if Jesus had surrendered to temptation, he would have needed saving too. And so he was and is the perfect sacrifice, the perfect substitute because he's like us in every way, fully human, but he's like God in every way, fully divine. And you say, I don't understand that. Well, join the club, man. This is God's stuff. This is too big for finite brains. And yet the Bible says he's 100% man and 100% God. And 1 Peter 1 says, we know that we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless conduct received by tradition from our fathers, but we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so given the fact that we have a sinless savior, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? It means I can approach the throne of God's grace with boldness. That's what the Bible tells me, that I come boldly to the throne of grace, not with arrogance, but with confidence. The word boldness here in the Greek means fearlessness, courage, Yes, I must be reverent, but I can be courageous. I used to have to go speak to my PhD director at times, Dr. Andres Kostenberger, wonderful man of God, but he was always hidden behind a mountain of books on his desk. He was very intimidating. And um, 
he, he was just, I mean, I never approached with confidence. I knew I had done my work and done what I was asked, but especially when I took his theological German class, I had, opt, I had passed out my other German because I took it at William and Mary. So I already had the basics of German, but if you've never studied theological German, it is a nightmare. It's like all of these words strung together into one big giant German word. And Dr. Kostenberg was my teacher. And I remember going to his office, being the prof of that, and he was a native German speaker. And so Deutsch was his original tongue. And so having to go speak to him about questions and things, I never approached confidently. I always approached like a coward, uh, 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 Dr. Kostenberg, can I get some advice on this or some help on that? Well, some people do that with God. Some people go to their father and they're all cowardly and, oh, Lord, if, if, you, if you have the time, if you just listen. Friend, if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says you come to God boldly, not arrogantly, but God, I stand before you because Jesus has cleansed me. I'm not the man I once was. I'm not yet the man I'm going to be, but I am clean in Christ. I am free in Jesus. I know the truth. The truth has set me free. I come boldly asking of you. I come boldly knowing that you hear and desire to answer and want a relationship with me, I come boldly into your presence. That's what the Bible says. When you think about it, when it talks about coming to the throne, that's like that picture of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, that seat was considered the throne of God. Now, we know God doesn't live in temples made with hands, but we know that that mercy seat is fulfilled in Christ. Christ is the mercy seat. We don't have to bring the blood of animals and spread them over this seat now. Jesus is the mercy seat. When we come to him, we come to the throne of grace. And remember, in the old ways, there was a big, giant, thick curtain, much bigger than our new black curtain back here, much larger, much thicker. That big, giant curtain was rent, torn from top to bottom, impossible by humans. But God himself reached down from heaven and tore it as Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. Because God said, everybody has access now. Not just one guy, not just one day of the year. Every moment of every day, every child of mine in Christ can approach me fearlessly, freely, boldly. Because this is what God has done for us. Man, I'm glad I don't have to wait for one day to go to God. I'm glad I don't have to wait for a sacrifice. I'm glad I myself don't have to make a sacrifice, but that Jesus is our sacrifice. He is our supreme, sympathetic, sinless high priest. And finally, and this will be super brief, he is our selected high priest. Verses 1 to 4 simply reminding us that the high priest were taken out from among the men, Aaron being one of them. Now, there was a high priest in the Old Testament, Melchizedek, but we're talking about once the system was established with the tabernacle and approaching the mercy seat. That's why I say Aaron was first in that regard. But we find that these men through the ages were selected out. They didn't choose to be the high priest. God chose them in the days of old. And I'm not talking about the modern Catholic system. I'm talking about way back in the Old Testament. But when we think about this, there was just one major problem over and over and over and over. Every priest that was selected was himself a sinner. And so if you read verses 1 to 4, they too had to make sacrifices for their own sin. I mean, I remember running from God. I remember so clearly after Cindy and I got married, feeling this just insatiable tug on my heart. 
pulling me away from the only thing I had known, which at that point had been music and singing and traveling and working for my parents and taking, potentially taking over their two businesses. It's all I had known between the music world and the business world and getting this pull. No, God's saying, I want you to come here. And all the while going, but I can't, I'm not worthy. I'm stupid, I don't know anything. I've never studied theology. I've had Sunday school lessons and felt boards, you know, with David and Goliath. I know nothing else, Lord. But you know that God does not call those who think they deserve to be called. God calls and uses those who know they don't deserve to be called. God calls and uses those who know they're lower than pond scum and that there's nothing good in and of themselves. God calls and uses those kinds of people. So if you're sitting here and thinking, well, God could never call or use me, welcome to the club, baby. You're the perfect candidate. God would love to use you in ways that you can't even imagine. You see, this earthly priest had to have compassion on people. That word here means he had to be gentle with people. He had to understand, I'm dealing with you sinners, but I'm the chief. <laughs> I'm the chief among you, like Paul would say. The high priest had to understand there was a balance between law and grace. And in the Old Testament, unfortunately, and even in the days of Jesus, that became out of balance. And with the high religious leaders, like the high priest and the religious councils, they elevated law over grace. Now, here's the danger in 2022. We want to elevate grace and throw out law. Don't do that either. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. The moral code of God still stands. Thus saith the Lord, thou shalt and thou shalt not still holds water, folks. And so we must remember that we don't need an earthly high priest. We have a heavenly high priest. Even Aaron, what a goofball. What a goob. Moses is on Mount Sinai getting the very law from the finger of God written on stone tablets. What is Aaron doing? Uh, give me your jewelry. We need a God we can see. And Moses comes down and he, of course, is so angry, he breaks the tablets. Aaron, what have you done? Uh, 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 th th these people, they brought me their jewelry and I threw it in the fire and out came the golden calf. Liar, liar, pants on fire. The very high priest appointed by God was a liar. And I'll give you a little insight. Everyone since then has been a liar and a luster and someone who's sinned and fallen in many ways. And yet Jesus and Jesus alone is the perfect high priest, feeling the weight of temptation but never giving in. You do not have to go to a human high priest anymore. I feel like sometimes people will call me or write me and sense a need to confess their sin to me. Please don't, there's enough in my life and our family to go around, I, I don't need yours. But I will tell you, you do need to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You may need someone that holds you accountable in your life. You may need someone that you can speak with and confess to. Well, we are here for you in that regard, but we're not gonna be able to absolve you of your sins. I don't care how many times you cross yourself or say your prayers or whatever you do religiously, even coming to the Lord's table does not absolve you of your sin. Jesus forgives you and Jesus alone cleanses you from all unrighteousness. So what have we learned? Jesus is our supreme high priest, sympathetic high priest, sinless high priest, and of course, verse four tells us, called by God to be the selected high priest. Have you ever thought about the fact that every other high priest of old always took the life of another? 
another bull, another goat, another lamb. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus is the only high priest in all of history that was willing to say, not only will I mediate between man and God for them, I will be the sacrifice for them. You see, I think about the old hymn. I love it. It's one of my favorites that's ever been written. I bet you've heard it before. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You heard that before? Nothing good have I whereby his grace to claim. I mean, think about it. I'm going to wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. Because of his shed blood, my sin, though they be like crimson, are now white as snow. Because Jesus did what I could never do and what you could never do to save yourself. So as we spend our final few minutes together, remembering and reflecting on and even rejoicing in the sacrifice of God's Son and our Savior. I'd ask you to do this. Would you just close your eyes? Would you just maybe bow your head for a second? Would you ask the Lord if there's anything in you that would make you unworthy to partake of what we're about to do? This is called the Lord's Supper or Communion. We are communing, relating to God. We are remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. We are recalling, as our Lord did, God's freedom from slavery. Not slavery to Egypt, but slavery to sin. And in doing this, we are reflecting upon the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a born-again, baptized believer, we would invite you to join us. You do not have to be a member of grace to do so. We do say baptized only because that is the first step of public obedience. I just want you to listen very carefully to this. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he brought new meaning to the old Passover And so we come now to observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper given to celebrate the memory of Jesus' broken body and shed blood. At the conclusion of the feast of the Passover, which he and his disciples were celebrating, our Lord took bread. Having blessed it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is broken or given for you. As you look this way now and you see this bread, we have some images on the screen. It just helps you understand what I'm holding. Unleavened bread always has some unique characteristics. It's pierced, it's bruised, it's even striped. Much like the great prophet Isaiah said would be the body of the Messiah. Jesus would be bruised. Jesus would be striped. Jesus would, in fact, be pierced for us. And as Jesus in his young hands, you know, 33 sounds younger and younger all the time. In his young hands, probably strong hands, maybe calloused hands, as he held that bread, he looked at those intimate 12 guys, one who would soon leave to betray him, and he would say, this is my body. And he would bless it, then he would break it, and he would give it. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we ask you, Lord, to bless this, we come remembering with grateful hearts, with touched, sensitive hearts, We remember what Jesus has done on our behalf.
He didn't take the life of another. He willingly gave his life and took the stripes that belonged on our back. He took the crown of thorns that belonged on our head. He took the nails that belonged in our hands and our feet. We have sinned. We have fallen short of your glory. Jesus never did. But as the perfect substitutionary sacrifice, he took our place that by his death we may have life. Lord Jesus, thank you for being willing to have your body broken so that we could be made whole. We lift this prayer in your name. Amen. So the Lord Jesus said, this is my body, and it is broken for you. If you take your cup, if you haven't already opened it up, uh, we do have a few different styles. There may be a wafer or a little piece of bread there. Either way, it's fine if you'll open that and get the wafer out. Jesus was teaching some of his followers over in John chapter 6. They were talking about manna, but he was giving a fuller meaning to that. And he said, speaking of himself, this is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, but he that eateth this bread shall live forever. On that same night, our Lord took the cup. Having blessed it, he distributed it to his disciples, saying, This is my blood shed for you. If you'll prepare the second part of your miniature chalice there and open the top with the juice. Did I mention we have new seats in here? Okay. Enough said. <sighs> it's just made me nervous all morning. I want you to remember that life is in the blood. It's told to us all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Life is represented by blood. For the death we deserved, we needed life. In fact, the writer of Hebrews will get there one of these days in chapter 9 says, almost all things are cleansed with blood, and apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there is no forgiveness. But in 1 John 1, 7, that great elder statesman John said, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It said on the night our Lord would be betrayed following the Passover feast. They sang a hymn and then they went out in a few weeks. A hundred of us will be there at the Mount of Olives. A hundred of us will be gathered in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I can't wait till we're there and then later that week we'll be at the Garden Tomb. We'll actually be participating in communion together for those of you who are going to be on this adventure. I'm always amazed at how the Lord works things together. How the Lord gave such beautiful full meaning to this Passover. I'm amazed when I, I, I looked at Planning Center the other day, Pastor Jeff, you know, I had already written this message, it was done, I had decided I wanted to mention Jesus paid it all at the end, and then I look at Planning Center and Jeff and I had not spoken about it, but he had also chosen a song to conclude today's service. And sometimes without even communicating, if you're communicating to God and they're communicating to God, you're gonna end up on the same page anyway. And so would you stand with us as we thank God for sending Jesus. We thank Jesus for coming to be our perfect high priest. And I would ask if you're struggling with anything today, 
If there's a sin in your life or the life of someone you care about, you don't need to confess that to me. You don't need to come to a pastor or human priest, but you do need to confess to the perfect high priest, Jesus. He understands and he is compassionate. Maybe some of you are so inclined to come and pray for those who have been in the path of this horrible storm. Maybe some of you have other things in your heart and your mind that you need to lay before God today. I would remind you as they lead us, Jesus paid it all. So as I say amen, the altar's open and you come. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.